Thank you, worship team. We've got some new faces here this morning. If you're new here, um, we're very musically talented. I usually, if you're, you're new here, I usually lead worship. I just didn't want to today. Uh, kind of having an off day. No, I didn't, get, I didn't get the musical gene, but God has blessed us abundantly with people who not only know how to play music, uh, but to use it for God's glory. So thank you. Um, what a Sunday. I mean, it's awful outside, but it's great in here. Um, it's, it doesn't get any better than a baptism Sunday. And I can't think of any more relevant text than the one that we're going to dive into this morning. If you can ch- turn your Bibles to John chapter 2. John chapter 2, verses 23, and then going into chapter 3, verse 8. So starting at John chapter 2, verse 23, and ending at John chapter 3, verse 8. Before we begin, has anyone ever seen the movie... Oh, raise your hand if you've ever seen the movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Oh wow, we've got a lot of people that have. I was, this wasn't in the sermon, but I was just thinking about it this morning. Um, you know that part where he says, uh, he's like, All my sins are washed away, I'm on the straight and narrow. He says, including that piggly wiggly that I robbed in Yazoo. <laughs> and uh, George Clooney's character goes, I thought you said you were innocent of those charges. He's like, well, I was lying. <laughs> and God forgave me that too. <laughs> and I love that because it's obvious to everyone that this man has not changed his ways. <laughs> he thought if he went into that water... Everything was fine. Everything was washed away. There was no change of heart in that man. Uh, I think that's why it's funny. But the reason it's also funny, I think, at least in my mind, that happens a lot of times. It's not as comical, and it's more subtle, but a lot of people go down to that water and really believe when they get up, they're fine. It's all same life to live, same wants and needs, same desires, same sin, same track in life. They just went into the water, got everything washed away, and now they got a one-way ticket to heaven. They can do whatever they want. That's not how it works. That's why we laugh, but in real life it's not as funny. So this morning we're going to look at a text that teaches us what happens to someone when they get saved. What happens to their heart? I think that's going to be a, something that we look at this morning and think that we're going, to, we're going to see that something really is happening in someone's heart when they're saved. And it's called being born again. So if you, want, if you will, raise, or stand up if you could. If you're new here, we stand up when we read God's Word. It's not because we think this is a magical book. It's not because we think that we're more Christian-y. We just do this out of reverence for God's Word. And the Word of the Lord says... Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them, because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? 
Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, I ask you this morning that by the very same Spirit that authored these books of the Bible, by the very same Spirit that has, that has made us new creations, I ask this morning that that very same Spirit open our eyes so that we can understand such a deep, vast, bottomless, precious truth that we must be born again to get to heaven. Show us what that means this morning. And all these things we ask in your Son's name. Amen. So the last words in chapter 2 are, Jesus, quote-unquote, knew what was in man. Jesus knew what was in man. That's what it says. And then in chapter 3, John immediately makes a beeline to a conversation between Jesus and a Pharisee named Nicodemus about what it means for sinners to be born again. So John takes us from Jesus knows what's in man to Jesus telling Nicodemus, you got to be born again. That transition, the fact that those two texts are together, that's not a coincidence. Whatever is in man, it has to die and be made new. We're not talking about a change in lifestyle. We're not talking about a new mindset. We're not talking about pick yourselves up by the bootstraps and get a new attitude in life. That's not what He's talking about. Jesus says to Nicodemus in verse 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. No exceptions. He didn't put any claws on the end of it. That's it. You want to get to heaven? You've got to be born again. To which Nicodemus is like, what does that mean? Pretty deep. The Greek word for again is anothen, which means literally means from above. You must be born from above. So what Jesus is telling Nicodemus is, in order for God to save you, He has to change you. You cannot be saved and not be changed. We, uh, we closed on our home. Todd's closed on our house. we got a house now. My dad is here. Here, he's painting our house. Uh, ob, the, the second obby. Dad, wave your hand real quick. Um, John, who was it? Robbie? Was it Robbie? Robbie, were you and I talking about going bald last night or yesterday? I was making fun of you for being bald, and then you said, Obby, you, 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 you're right after me. And then I said, My dad's coming tomorrow. You're going to see how quick I'm going to be you. Um, needless to say, we're thankful for our house, thankful to Dad's painting. Um, just kind of give you a brief overview. We bought the house, and now Kelly has uh, done something that women do called nesting. Are you aware of this? They've do- it, 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 it's got to be documented on National Geographic. Women do this. They nest. They get in a house, and then they make it theirs. I have not 
I've yet to meet a woman that doesn't do this. Um, nesting for my wife looks like we get in, most of the women now already know where I'm going with this, the walls, they need to be changed. The, the color, and of course, I mean, in, in my wife's defense, I mean, the, the, I think the, the kitchen is orange, so. We're changing the paint. Now, we're also adding, I went to Home Depot last night and got cabinets. We're adding cabinets, too. We're also changing the, the counters, too. Kelly's putting her spin on it. I don't want to just, it's not just her. She's leading the way, but it's, it's us, you know. My point is, by the time we're done, that house is going to look the same on the outside. But then you're going to walk in very different on the inside. The very same with the gospel. In order for God to save you, He has to renovate your soul and change you. Everyone who's saved, that happens. It is spiritual renovation. To be born again is to be made into a completely different person with new desires and a new heart. The number seven most popular country music song in America. I, wish, I really wish Franklin were in here right now. The, ne- the number seven most popular country music song in America is by a guy named Luke Bryan. How many, how many, people, how many people listen to country music? Um, somebody's in the back going, I don't listen to that kind of country music. Um, the song is called Most People Are Good. Raise your hand if you've ever heard this song. Catchy song. Luke Bryan is catchy. I know he is. Debatably country, but catchy singer. <laughs> I thought I'd share with you the lyrics of this song. Okay. Number seven song. Probably going to climb in top three at least. This is the main melody of the song. I believe most people are good, and most mamas ought to qualify for sainthood. Okay, we liking it so far, right? I believe most Friday nights look better under neon or stadium lights. I believe you love who you love. Ain't nothing you should ever be ashamed of. I believe this world ain't half as bad as it looks. I believe most people are good. Number seven most popular country music song. Let's, let's just repeat those last four lines. I believe you love who you love. Ain't nothing you should ever be ashamed of. I believe this world ain't half as bad as it looks. I believe most people are good. That's not only unbiblical. It's almost the exact opposite of what the Bible says. Now, some of y'all are going, oh, but you leave Luke Bryan alone, man. He's just trying to make a dollar. Well, you, you say that, but people hear that song. Here's what Romans chapter 3 says, verses 10 through 12. Luke Bryan says people aren't half as bad as they look. Here's what Paul says. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. That's in Romans. That's Paul. That's the condition that every person, every member of mankind, if left to their own devices, that's you. Luke Bryan says this world ain't half as bad as it looks. The The Apostle Paul, quoting David, says this world isn't half as good as it looks. 
Let me take a moment here and make sure everyone in this, this room understands this. If you don't believe what you just heard from Paul, if you don't believe that with your entire heart, mind, and soul, if you don't believe that with everything you have, then you have no idea what Jesus means when He says you must be born again. Now, every human being is made in the image of God. Every single human being is, has value and worth because they're stamped with something that animals aren't and they're precious in His sight from the fact that they've been created in His image. Okay? But eternally speaking, from a judgment perspective, in you, in me, there is nothing good, nothing redeemable, nothing appealing, nothing commendable before God. Nothing. If there were, you would not need to be born again. If there was an ounce of goodness in me, Jesus would not have told Nicodemus, you, he, he would have told Nicodemus, ye must need to be improved. Ye, ye must be enhanced. No, he says, ye must be born again. You got that King James English on you. Luke Bryan says, you love who you love, and there's no shame in that. Here's what John says in verse 17. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. So, not to, I don't want to pick on Luke Bryan. I mean, Luke Bryan's not the only one that believes it. But Luke Bryan says, you love who you love. Jesus says, you loved what you loved, and that got you in trouble. It's a heart condition. It's a soul condition. We all have the same heart disease. I mean, none of this, I said a prayer, I checked the box, I got baptized, I got in the water, I came out, I did this, I showed up for this, that means I'm this. No, it's not, a, it's not an auto body issue. You need a new motor, a new transmission, you need a new everything. Our hearts are desperately wicked and we have to die and we got to be raised. That's what Jesus is saying. There is no greater testament to evil, in my mind, than when sinners can look at the rest of the world and go, oh my gosh, we're going to hell in a handbasket. And say the world is evil, but yet don't believe that they're inherently evil. I think when people make a statement today about the, the evil that's in the world, it's, it's, it's nothing to go, man, look at all the evil that's out there. It's pretty bold, and it takes the work of the Holy Spirit for someone to go, I need to die. <laughs> How many people you know who says that? Jesus is saying, you must be born again. I think it's not the Democrats' fault, it's not the Republicans' fault, it's not the liberals' fault, it's not the homosexuals' fault, it's not the politicians' fault. The Bible says we're all conceived in, in sin. Psalm 51. In sin, this is David, in sin my mother conceived me. You were born in sin. I've used this many times. I've got to stop using it because my dad says I need to stop using illustrations about my kids and I think he's right. But my kids are like the most adorable kids ever. I'll stick my... I mean, I'm not saying yours are pretty adorable too. <laughs> what my point is, Roman has already learned to hit Ruby. He learned that when he was one. Where did he pick that up? I didn't teach him. My point is, we've all got the same heart disease. And it's not the media's fault. Get over it. The media's jacked up. 
But don't blame the media for your sin. People, here's a newsflash. People were sinful long before the internet came along. It's in your bones. It's in your genes. you got to be born again. Do you see how radical that is? Now you can see why Nicodemus is like, I'm old. How does that happen? That's why Jesus says, verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. If you're a human being, and I am, and you are, you're found in Adam, you're fallen, and you're fleshly. And we desperately need the Spirit of God. I had a conversation one time. Only, uh, maybe not the only, once our home got flooded in uh, Louisiana, I stayed with some people who took me in. They're good people. Only awkward conversation other than the election. The, The election was going on. Um, but even then, they were, they were good-hearted people. Everything was never offensive. They got offended one time. And I remember it was when we were talking about the gospel. I was talking about original sin. And, and her fate, her head came up. She goes, you don't believe in that. And I went, what do you mean? She's like, you don't believe in original sin, do you? I was like, yeah. And she looked at me like I just slapped her in the face. I guess that's offensive to believe in original sin. And the first thing out of her mouth, she goes, so you think my grandson's sinful? And I said, uh, was he born? <laughs> now, she is, her name is Lisa. She was feisty. We, you know, I think she ended up cooking for me. That night. She, they were good people and still friends. But I said, Scripture says all. It means all. They didn't want to hear that. They were willing to look on the news and and be okay with the entire world being evil, but not their grandson. I mean, you talk about... And so then I asked them, okay, well, how does someone get to heaven? That's what I asked them. And they said, well, you live according to God's Word, you be a good person. And that told me a lot... That told me everything I needed to know about the way they view Christianity. They didn't say anything about faith. They didn't say anything about being born again. If you have a problem with the idea that everyone's inherently sinful, then you have a big problem with the fact that everyone has to be remade and reborn and that you don't add anything to your salvation by anything you do. John Newton, the man who wrote Amazing Grace, said this about sin. In consequence of this deep-rooted disorder, is what he calls it, the heart is deceitful. It deceives and fails us in every instance. It promises more than it can perform. It misleads us with vain desires and mocks us with unsuccessful efforts. Like the faint attempts of a sick man to perform those actions which require a state of sound health and strength. I mean, I think that there is no greater testament to, to, the, to the evil of sin than blinding us to how sinful we really are. That's where sin makes its bones, making you think you're okay and you don't need Jesus. That's where sin is heinous. The evil of sin wants you to look at other people and go, no, that's sinful. The evil of sin wants you to look at your sin and go, ah, not that bad. I messed up. I'm a good person, though. Well, Apostle Paul says you're not. Luke Bryan says you're good. Well, the Bible says no. 
I gotta, I gotta be okay. I gotta, I'm gonna, I'm gonna lease up on Luke Bryan for a second. Who might be on my radio when I go home? I don't know, but I'll turn it off if it's this one. <laughs> as long as you believe you're a good person inherently, as long as you believe you're a good person inherently, you will never be convinced that you need to die and be born again. That's why it's so important to read about. What John says at the end of John 2. But Jesus on his this is what it says. Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Is what it says. In other words, Jesus says, I don't need a PowerPoint presentation on how sinful you people are. That's why I showed up. And thank God he did. Parents, if you're a parent without getting into age of accountability and, and cognition and guilt and, you know, those are deep issues. Um, you have to, fathers, you have to raise your children, mothers, you have to raise your children in such a way that you understand the reality that your children are conceived in sin. Your children have to understand that. Your wife needs to understand that. Wives, your husbands need to understand that. Why? Because if you don't, if you don't, under, if you don't raise your child in the knowledge that they have to eventually give everything to Jesus, including their own lives to Jesus, that they have to be remade, then you're grooming them for a life of works-based, legalistic Christianity. We, Christianity is not something you add to your life. You're born again and Jesus becomes your life. How hard you work and how religious you are doesn't change the fact that your entire family, apart from the grace of God, has a heart disease. Romans 5 applies as much to our beautiful, successful, law-abiding families as much as it does to the incarcerated, drug-addicted, world criminal in prison. Romans 5 says all. Romans 5.12 Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam... Death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Raise your families in that truth so that you can eventually tell your daughters and your sons about the second Adam who came. The one who was born of man, but who was conceived in the Holy Spirit. And by putting your faith in Jesus, you get to tell your children, if you put your faith in the second Adam, you get to be found in Him, and you, He gets to put His Spirit in you. You get to be born again. You get to live with Him forever. That's, the, that's how you disciple your children. Not, hey, just be good, and don't go to jail, and uh, just know right from wrong. Well, that's good. Teach them that, hopefully. But teach them, just because you know right from wrong, just because you have a conscience doesn't mean you're going to do right from wrong. That's the Holy Spirit. When Carolyn went under that water this morning, what she was saying is, the old Carolyn's dead. That's what she was saying. And when she came up, she was saying, I'm not perfect, but now I have the power of the Holy Spirit to live a new life. Verse 7. I, I, I looked at verse 7 a lot. It says, Do not marvel. Jesus told Nicodemus, do not marvel that I've told you to be born again. Which, which I, I take to mean, Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, this is like Christianity 101. You have to be born again. The people who don't believe this, and they're just adding to their, the wrath of God that's coming. If you're trying, 
If you, if you have rejected the idea that you're inherently sinful and must be born again, but yet you want to live a good life, you're just, those are filthy rags before the God, for the God of the universe. Today I hear a lot of people say, America has to return to God. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta come back to the God. We gotta, we gotta, you, you know, our forefathers were founded this nation on Christianity, which is not technically true. They'll go. We just need this. This nation needs to come back to the Bible, and that's true. It does. And people have been saying that. Christians have been saying that since the, since America was around. But I think what's changed in recent years is when people used to say that, they would mean. We got to do it too. They would include the church in that. They would include themselves. Now, when I hear people say America's got to come back to God, it's usually pointed at the other people that they think need to come back to God. Revival in America begins with revival in the church. And in American history, revival has almost always begun with the message of being born again. The very, I would have to say, Billy Graham is the second greatest evangelist in the history of America. Okay. His name is George Whitfield. He was the one largely responsible for the, the Great Awakening, if you've ever heard of that. His most common sermon he preached, the most famous, was actually his first published sermon, and it was called, the one he preached the most, and it was called, The Nature and Necessity of Our Regeneration or New Birth in Christ Jesus. George Whitfield's most famous sermon, his most common sermon, his most consistent sermon was, people got to be born again. 150 years later, in 1951, a young evangelist by the name of Billy Graham. Hey, around in 51. My goodness. In one of his earliest broadcasted sermons, in 51, right after the war, said this, God gives a new nature to those that receive by faith His Son, Jesus Christ. Reformation cannot be substituted for regeneration. God's standard demands regeneration. You're looking at the two greatest evangelists in the history of America and their their most common message was, be born again. There's something to that message that changes people. If you want to pray for this country, pray that sinners be born again. If you want to pray for your family, pray that your children be born again. If you want to pray for our church, pray that people be born again. The condition is the same and the solution has not changed. So here's a question as we kind of wrap up. This is the question I kind of asked a lot when I was in high school because I don't think anyone really answered it for me. If a born-again believer is given the power of the Holy Spirit to fight sin, and, there's a, and I'm a new person, I've got a new identity, I'm born again, the old is gone, the new has come, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Why is it still so hard not to sin? Has anybody ever asked that question? Like, teenage Abby was, came out of the water, I'm like, hey, I'm born again! Why is it so hard not to look at girls and have bad thoughts? Then Abby went to college and had a lot of those thoughts. Then Abby got married and was like, why do I talk to my wife sometimes with that dismissive tone? Man, that's sinful. I'm born again. Why am I still sinning? See, the world looks at this church and goes, hey, those are a bunch of born again people that still sin. See, that's, they've got the wrong perception there. This is not a group of people who are sinless. 
These are people who are fighting sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think we need to understand that when you come up out of the water and you're baptized, when you're born again, it does not mean you are sinless. The old Abi is dead. What he wanted, what he desired, what made him happy, what he relished in life, those things were crucified with Jesus. I've been set free from lust. I've been set free from pride. I've been set free from anger, from bitterness. But, but, those sinful desires are still scrapping and clawing to get back into the new obby and to shackle me and they're trying to do it every single day. My flesh is still waging war. That's why we need Romans chapter 6, verses 5 through 14. Listen to this real quick. Listen to this. This this passage made me, it finally helped me understand why I'm born again, but I still sin. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, Jesus, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we've we've died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin, once and for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So here's where he starts talking about us. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your body to make you obey its passion. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. And this is what he says, For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. What does that all mean? That means your pastor still sins. The difference is now I have the power Not to sin. Now, sin doesn't have dominion over me. I have the power now to ask forgiveness from my wife. I'm going to tell you, if you're married, that takes some power. I have the power now. I'm telling you, when Georgia and it's southern heat, I'm telling you, them girls don't wear nothing. It's going to take power not to look at that. You laugh. It will kill you spiritually. You need power and self-control and it comes not from your own flesh. I have the power now to be kind to people who are not kind to me. That takes power. Like a woman at Home Depot last night chewed me out. You know, the church isn't a VIP club full of perfect people. It's a war room full of spirit-empowered sin fighters together fighting together. That's who we are. And so I wanted to conclude this message with verse 8. It says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. What in the world does that mean? 
I mean, Jesus is talking about born again. Now he's talking about the wind. It's kind of cryptic. Raise your hand if you've ever seen a dead person perform CPR on themselves. How many have ever seen a newborn baby deliver himself? How many people have ever seen a planet spawning itself into existence? That's precisely what Jesus is talking about. Breathing new life into dead sinners isn't something you do. It's something God does. He says, you don't know where the Spirit goes or where it comes from. In the history of the world, not one fleshly sinner enslaved in their own sin has ever come up with the idea, hey, I want to break out of the sin. No darkened, blind sinner has ever opened up their own eyes. This is why Jesus says, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Ultimately, God determines where the Spirit works and on whom He works. God elects those whom He wills to salvation because, again, we're dead. Dead men don't raise themselves. Every person in here is a spiritual Lazarus. We came back and Jesus said, come. That's why Abi has no bragging rights. I can't go up to another unbeliever and go, hey, I'm a Christian, you're not. Because he did everything. I have nothing to boast. God chose me. He called me. He justified me. He birthed me into a new family and I came out screaming like a newborn. I wanted to end with this. A lot of us have... We may not know how God chooses whom He wills and how He works, but we do know how He changes people. And that's by hearing and believing in His Word. There are a lot of people in here this morning who have family, and you've probably been frustrated by the fact that they've not only hurt you, but they may not even support you in your faith. You may have people in your own family or close friends that are like, yeah, that church thing, that's kind of what they do, not me. You may have people that look on you and your faith and your Christian friends and your church and go, what's that about? You may have people in your family you haven't even talked to for years. And you're still praying for them. I think we should remember, as Christians, our job is not to change them. That's God's job. Our job is to make sure that they hear the gospel and that we pray that God does the work. It is not your burden to change their heart. That is something that clearly Jesus says only God can do. But if you desire so much to see your family, your friends, these lost people, Oxford, Covington, Georgia, if we desire it that much, are we praying that God will do the heavy lifting? This morning I opened our service by reading from Ezekiel chapter 37, how God breathed new life into those dry bones. Do you remember what God tells them at the very beginning? He says, prophecy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This morning, if you've heard His word, if you feel the Spirit drawing you, come down and get saved. Because there is no one here. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to wash up and get ready for Jesus. Jesus says, come as you are and I'll change you. That's the gospel. 
not tidying yourself up and getting ready. A lot of people think they've got to come into church and they've got to, you know, the better dressed they are, the better people they are, or the better week they had, the more they're better on God's terms. No. You know how you get right with God? You get God to get right with you. And we do that by faith. Let's pray. Father, we are, as Martin Luther said, we are beggars. Teach us how to beg. Teach us how to trust when we've been hurt, when we want sinful things. When we're like sheep who've gone astray, we are so feeble-minded, Father. Have grace on us. Give us the grace and the mercy to seek You first, to confess our inadequacies, to confess how impotent we are. Father, let every single person in this room understand they don't, come on, they don't come to you on their own terms. They don't even come to you on their own power. They come by the Spirit of God. The wind blows. We don't know where it comes from. Father, it's with you. Your sovereign hand is what brought us out of darkness. Not ourselves. Father, if there's anybody here that does not know you, I pray that you may call them and that they may be reborn. And all these things we ask in your Son's name. Amen.